All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of the Text Lab from the Green Room at Vintage Grace Church. It's the Text Lab podcast. Will, good to be back again. Great to be back. Crawl has got his signature outfit on today. The shorts and the hoodie are back, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, it has cooled down significantly out there. It has. It actually feels wonderful. It's starting to feel a little bit like fall, which, if you know us, we live in Placerville. So, it feels like a little Apple Hill season is right around the corner. Yes, I'm holding on to summer for as long as I can, but I am actually glad for a break from the heat. I like that this becomes kind of a a podcast about what outfit I feel like I'm wearing whenever we record this. But hey, this is not a fashion podcast. This is the Text Lab, where every single week we do a deep dive into the text to help you prepare for your life group this week. Our goal is simple, to help you be a disciple who makes disciples. So whether you're leading a life group or just trying to do some deep dive on your own, we hope the Text Lab helps you have a meaningful study, reflect and conversation about what God has said to us in his word. Let's dive in to Romans 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Okay, so we are building off of where we were at last week, just thinking through some of the audience of Paul's letter and the author, the purpose of his writing. Paul is writing to the Roman church. Um, He's sending this letter ahead of himself, hoping to get to Rome. Ultimately, his goal is to get to Spain. And a few of the things that we highlighted last week were really that this would have been a very multicultural community. You would have had Jews and Greeks together coming together to form this uh, church for the first time. And that was, that's going to create some issues as we go through the text. That's going to kind of be one of the main themes. And then ultimately, this as well was kind of the ends of the earth for Paul. Um, This is kind of the outer, outer part of the known world. And he is trying to spread the gospel ultimately to Spain, which would have been the outer part of the of the world and uh, really just see the gospel multiply and go out to the ends of the earth. Yeah, I love this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones saying, neither color of skin nor social status nor education matter when it comes to this text. Because ultimately what you see is you have these groupings, especially in verse 13, right? And 14, 14 saying, look, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Barbarians would have been the non-Greeks. So he's actually like, you see Paul oftentimes saying like Jews, Gentiles. So he kind of says like Gentiles as Greeks is like, and everybody else um, who aren't Jews. But in this, he's actually flipping it a little bit. He's saying Greeks into the barbarians. He's kind of bringing the Jewish people under the authority of all the non-Greeks in the town. So it's actually fascinating because he's saying like, 
hey, you, yes, you, yes, you, yes, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of skin color, regardless of like where you've been, what you're into, all of it. He's saying this is what unites us. There's a unity that takes place that's so different than anything else in the world. Absolutely. And later on in Romans, I think we'll get into some of the more details of the things that they were actually struggling with, the things that they were actually having to work through in order to kind of have this unity. But here you very clearly see from Paul, he is addressing this community that is a diverse community coming together. Um, and he's really addressing them as one in Christ. If you remember back from last week, Paul kind of set up the whole letter, his reference list, the kind of why behind the what for he was writing to them for, and really just a lot of the reason for his authority in writing to them. And he had said, I am an apostle, and now you also are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You also are ones who have received the obedience that comes from faith in his name. And so there's this unity that happens to that community because of their unity in Christ. And I love that because verse eight starts us out. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith, that same faith that we just talked about, that same faith that was given as we talked about last week through the lineage of who Jesus is, is being proclaimed in all of the known world at this time, which is unbelievable. And it's so cool to think about like where crawl you and I, and even us in EDH in Northern California in 2000 years later, where we are at in this timeline, like their faith is proclaimed to all of the known world that 2000 years later, that we're sitting here having a conversation about this sacred text. Yeah. That's unbelievable because like Romans is a missionary, like, treaty from Paul here. He's saying, this is why this is important. You are unified because you're sent. It's this communitas piece of common master, common mission. That is the centralized theme here. Yeah. And you see his missionary heart and passion there in verse eight, where he's talking about their faith being reported throughout the world, his eagerness to come to them, to encourage them. He has a deep love and affection for this Roman church, this community, Um, people he might not even know his heart and affection for them because of the unity that is in Christ. But then I think what's important is to draw that link, like you just said, between their unity and the gospel going forth. Their unity together as Greeks and non-Greeks, as he says in 14, is connected to the gospel being preached throughout the world. That vertical unity in Christ is really connected to that uh, horizontal spread of the gospel. And I think the same is true for us today. The, The world knowing Christ, the world coming to know Christ, it's connected to whether we are united in him as well. And Paul really draws that connection and continues to emphasize that over and over again about how their unity is really connected to the gospel spreading and the gospel going forth. And you see that in verse 13, right? Like, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you. Like, that is for me, like, Paul has tried to come to Rome. He's tried to, like, be there for the church in Rome. And it's like, hey, look, but God has invited me into a lot of different spaces and places where I haven't been able to make it, that I haven't fully been able to be there. But that does not, that doesn't take away that I know you. I, I see your faith working throughout the world. I'm having these conversations about how the church in Rome is functioning and doing, and I am so encouraged. And the whole world is encouraged. Like you, that's the cool part about this for me of like, He's saying, I want to go there. Um, 
in order that he may reap some harvest among you, so as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So there's a specific thing of like, Paul fully sees going to Rome as a place for him to be encouraged by the saints in Rome, while yet, like, he has this deep R2 piece in the Church of Rome, as well as this deep R3 piece. Like, I want to go there so that I can minister to the Gentiles who do not love Jesus yet. And there's a big piece that's a part of his identity in that missionary journey. I think that's one thing that really sticks out to me as you look through 1 through 7, as you look through 8 through 15, is Paul's missionary heart and his missionary obligation, he calls it in verse 14, to the Greeks and the non-Greeks is to preach to them to spread the gospel. Now, and he said, he connects that to us as believers, but something that happens in the church, something that happened in our lives is we don't live with that missionary identity. I think that's one of the biggest strengths about VG. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of times people in our community find it really refreshing to be at VG. But Will, why, why have we lost that at different times throughout the history of the church why have we lost that in sometimes the, the churches of America as a whole? How, 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 how did that ever come about? Why does that happen when we kind of lose our missionary uh, identity? Because Paul really has it in verse 14. I'm obligated both to the Greeks to the non-Greeks to preach the gospel. Well, I think it depends on how deep you want me to go here, how far back you want me to go here. But <clears throat> without getting too nerdy, uh, really when we get hyper-focused on the differences between people. So we get hyper-focused on my belief compared to other people's belief in the faith. Now, I am, to be abundantly clear, I'm not saying there isn't like legitimate differences. Like there are, we have just gone through this series this summer on like what unites us. This is the core of who we are. Like we are grounded in who the triune God is. Yes, amen, that is who we are. Saying that, the tr there's something that happens when we receive this faith of who Jesus is that saves us to send us to go be missionaries into the world. And instead of that, what we end up, what we've seen is when the church gets insular in their thinking and in their ideas, and they remove themselves not only from the rest of the world, but they remove themselves from other people who they may have like secondary issues that they fully disagree with, or even like tertiary, like third tier issues that they're like, you know what? We disagree on this. We can't be together. Like it. So that's why, like what we we're saying here is unity is at the core of this book and at the core of mission together, because what unifies us is the blood of Jesus and how he sends us into a world that he is already at work in them. And so we honestly just need to get our eyes off, off ourselves. Mm. It, we become very prideful when we think about ourselves and what we do better or we do differently than everybody else. Instead of saying like, great, God saved me out of my despair and my brokenness. Let let me like love the sinner and hate my own sin and not just love the sinner and hate their sin. And I love that. Will because a lot of times when we think about unity and mission, we kind of split those different ideas. Yep. And we think the way to unify it is actually to huddle up, get insular, get more inward focus, kind of get all of our stuff in order first, and then we can go be missional. But I think actually you find the opposite happens. Once you actually turn your eyes outward towards the mission, towards the reality that the gospel must go forth to the ends of the earth, the people that are in your neighborhood and at work and family and friends that don't know Jesus, once we all start fixing our eyes on that, our unity kind of takes place 
in that. We find our unity in Christ then. We find our unity um, on the majors despite differences on the minors because we have a missional focus. I've rarely seen a person or a community actually get unified by trying to be overly inward focused. It actually just leads to more division, more uh, distraction, more disruption when actually our unity is found in our mission and you, you, you find kind of a deeper unity there. You find a deeper mission, a deeper strength because really you're all on battleship together uh, and you're kind of focused on the right things then. And what, what you end up having too is you not only separate from other believers, but you separate yourselves uh, from people who don't love Jesus. And so what ends up happening in those places is you end up saying, hey, you're not a person anymore. You're a project for me. You're someone who I want to try and, hey, win to Jesus. And that's the only reason why I want to hang out with you. Instead of realizing like, man, God's already been at work this person's life. He's actually inviting me into that space. And that God is just as present in my life group on Tuesday as he is at the pub with my yet to believe friend on Wednesday and realizing like God's at work in both of those spaces. They are not competing against one another. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's such a bigger kingdom understanding of redemptive history of God's spirit and presence with you that doesn't live in the temple, but lives inside of you that is going forth and out to the ends of the earth. And now we have the joy, the opportunity to simply stay in step with his spirit, following his spirit, wherever he goes, wherever he leads this week. As you think about this, Will, practically on that sense, whether you were at Life Group, it sounded like Tuesday and it sounds like you were at the pub last night on Wednesday. As you think about that, following the spirit on mission in unity, what what does that actually play out like practically? Yeah, I think it's just a hyper awareness of how God's working in all things. It's not trying to say like, okay, this is my Jesus time. It's saying like throughout the day, God, what are you inviting me into? I had this thought because as you are well aware, I've had a bunch of car issues recently, right? So recently, three months months, being recently. Um, and And I was thinking about this and I was like, man, my initial reaction is to say, what did I do wrong? Instead of realizing like this entire process has been for me to understand God has been at work throughout this entire thing. It's not about what I've done right or wrong about a car. It's about what God has allowed me to step into in the midst of my car troubles. That's the difference where I'm engaging with this dude who works at this car shop every single week for the past three months. And like, I'm able to step into that space and say like, oh, God's actually invited me into this relationship with this dude that's far greater than just trying to fix my car. And I think that like that idea or moment is just an awareness for me of saying like, oh, okay. Could I have done some things better with that car? Probably. But can I also still be in the same spot? Because this is what God invited me into. 100%. Dude, and what a much more beautiful, joyful, adventurous way to live life. I mean, sometimes you're going to end up at the mechanic shop fixing your car for three months. But it sounds a lot like, maybe a little bit less painful, but Paul in prison and on a shipwreck. And in all these different spots, not by his choice. But when he's in those moments, it's like, God, what are you inviting me into? And he's building relationships with these people in the prison and living life with that type of trust, that type of surrender, that type of uh, palms up saying, God, just what are you inviting me into here? Where are you moving? Where are you working? It's having eyes to see and ears to hear the kingdom moments, the kingdom opportunities that are 
all around us. It doesn't mean it's not going to suck or be annoying in different ways at different times, but it really is uh, life in the kingdom, life with the spirit right there. And that's what Paul's doing. Like if you see this text in verse 14, he's like, I have tried to come to you. Right. And like, God's like, okay, well, it's not time yet. And like, that's what I love is like, we're able to like stay in step with the spirit and trust where he's leading us. Carl, what about you? What about you for this week? Yeah, I think for me, it's it's a lot on those same lines. It's uh, And for me, a lot of that is a death to control, a death to getting my checklist done, getting my priorities the way I want them to happen, when I want them to happen, how I want them to happen, um, especially with young kids. I feel that more these days because you just have less and less time on your hands. But really to hold everything in our lives so loosely before the Lord to say, okay, God, this is all yours. Do what you want with it, when you want, how you want, where you want. Um, let me just really live and walk by your spirit. Um, that is drinking from the well of living water and walking with the spirit, following the spirit, um, living on mission in that way. So I think I think at the root of that is a lot of control that I like to hold onto in different ways and uh, just releasing that and saying, okay, God, I'm going to surrender this to you. Let me just trust in you fully. Uh, is, is a different way of living and a better way of living. It's an abundant, good life that Jesus is inviting us into in that. Um, well, hey, listener, thanks for joining us on the Text Lab podcast today. We hope that this is helpful for you um, and just helps you dive a little bit deeper into the text this week. This is the Text Lab, and we are so thankful that you were here today. As always, do your own prep. Let the Spirit lead you in know that you are the one who is sent by God this week in every single situation to your family, to your school, to your work, to the coffee shop, to the car mechanic, to the gym, and to soccer practice, wherever your Pray Watch community might be and wherever God invites you to go this week, where you are sent to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you all. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.